0: Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, The Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're talking about Donald Trump. He's facing legal problems again, and this time he may not be able to wriggle out of them. Prosecutors in New York could criminally indict the former president as early as today on charges related to a $130,000 hush money payment made to adult film star Stormy Daniels, who claimed to have had an affair with Trump. That's not Trump's only legal problem. He also could face charges in Georgia, where the Fulton County District Attorney has been investigating Trump's efforts to alter the 2020 vote count in that state that Trump lost to Joe Biden. That's the case where there was a recording of Trump pressing the Georgia Secretary of State to find extra votes that would help him win. Plus, there's a federal special counsel looking into Trump's involvement with the January 6th insurrection of the U.S. Capitol and his alleged mishandling of classified documents. The aftershocks from all of these investigations could ripple back here to California and affect Trump's chances to be reelected. That's because the California primary will be held on March 5th, 2024, and voters will see ballots arrive in their mailboxes in early February. That's soon after Iowa and New Hampshire voters weigh in, giving Republican voters in California a very loud voice in determining who their nominee for president will be for the first time in a generation. And if Trump's legal problems intensify, that could loosen his grip on the party here in California. In fact, that's already starting to happen. I just spent three days hanging out with leaders and grassroots activists at the California Republican Party convention, and many are ready for a change. And unlike in the past, they're not afraid to say that out loud. Publicly, many of the people who were with Trump before are publicly saying we're still with Trump. Privately, a lot of the leadership of the conservatives in this state are, are going to go with uh, DeSantis. Florida is where the woke goes to die. I mean, when you make statements like that and then back it up with legislation and you stand up to the bullies of the left and the media, no offense, Joe, people respect it. That was Steve Frank, a longtime activist who gives 75 speeches a year to Republican clubs across the state. Here to talk more about Trump his legal problems and how that could reshape the California primary is my friend Marisa Lagos. This is a bit of a homecoming for Marisa. We used to work together at the Chronicle and now she is the politics correspondent at KQED and co-host of the Political Breakdown podcast. I've been a guest on her program many times and as she points out, this is the first time I've invited her to be on mine. Awkward. Awkward. Marisa, welcome to It's All Political on 5th and Mission, the podcast.
1: Yes, thank you for finally having me on your podcast, <laughs> I'm by just the way, kidding. It's the lovely to be back at 5th and Mission, at 901 Mission.
0: Marisa, can you give us a brief recap of the legal challenges that the former president is facing?
1: Yeah, so what we're all waiting for this week is this potential indictment in Manhattan. This is in relation to alleged hush money payments to Stormy Daniels, a former adult film star. Um, Who he had an affair with. Yeah, he had an alleged affair with. And basically, the grand jury is looking at whether he falsified business records in connection with those hush money payments. So layers here within his business and obviously the actual campaign. You yeah, know, it's an election
0: law case. Yeah,
1: There's also, you know, an investigation in Georgia looking at his conduct after the 2020 election, his call with the secretary of state there, essentially demanding that he come up with thousands of votes to overturn Biden's victory. A, a lot of this, we should say, is really shrouded, right? Prosecutors aren't out here like trumpeting every piece of evidence they right. have. But the sense is that that is, you know, it, it, obviously a state investigation, but into this broader kind of stop the steal effort that Trump and his allies made. Um, And it is a little unclear, like, what I think what the interplay is with Georgia officials and whether the Department of Justice, you know, is involved in that, too. And then, of course, we have, you know, a special prosecutor to oversee the investigation into the January 6th insurrection and Trump's involvement in that. Um, And I'm sure I'm missing other ones. because we also
0: have his uh, his, uh, papers that were found in his home, too. The
1: second special (laughs) counsel, I totally forgot, Mar-a-Lago and the... um, Top secret documents that were stored at his golf yes. Club as one does. I mean yes well it th-
0: some presidents put them in his yeah. their garage.
1: And so I think like <laughs> around all these cases we've seen the potential for protests we saw in Florida after that FBI um, search. That resulted in some protests uh, in Florida, which were, I think, sort of uh, harken back to the Brooks Brothers riots after the uh, 2000 yes, election for, for all my people who are yes. over the age of 35. Yes. Trump started all of this, right? Because he, he truthed, is that what we call it? He, he went on Truth Social, his social media site last <laughs> yes. weekend, and he put out uh, a statement c- claiming he was going to be indicted on Tuesday and calling for protest. And so in response to that law enforcement have talked to a number of folks in the media, off the record in most cases, unnamed, but to say that, yes, the FBI, local police are all meeting in Manhattan in recent days, understanding that this indictment could be coming down from the grand jury and the prosecutor, um, and that if so, they do need to be prepared. I think they would probably be having those conversations with or without Trump's comments, but I think it probably raised a, a real antenna for a lot of law enforcement, because let's not forget... They didn't do so well on January sixth. No, there was
0: the one. there was uh, communication was lacking to say the least. Also, Rolling Stone reported that uh, there has been some increased traffic of people talking about acting out towards the government, right. uh, sort of I an mean, umbrella term I in some think, ways. And, yeah. yeah, but you know that's that's talk. But at least that's on people's radar this time, as opposed to January sixth.
1: I do want to flag, like though, I think one thing we've learned in the past two years is, I mean, it's horrifying and dangerous as what happened on January 6th was a lone wolf can also do a ton of damage. Look at look at the Paul Pelosi attack here yes. in San Francisco. So whether or not there are mobs of people in the street protesting on behalf or against the former president, I think him calling for civil unrest of any sort is a really kind of dangerous game at this point, given the the web of sort of conspiracy theories and far-right extremist groups that already exist in his sphere. And the way that people who are allegedly un- mentally unstable as is the man accused of attacking Paul Pelosi can kind of take something like that and run with it. And so that I think in a state like California might be the thing the law enforcement here is more concerned about. I I haven't talked to anybody, but just this idea that like one person with a computer could take whatever Trump's saying, whatever his intention is in whatever way they decide to and, and cause harm.
0: You know, 50 years ago, Marisa, one of the first things that President Gerald Ford did when he took office after Richard Nixon resigned was to Pardon him for his Watergate sins," Ford said. "That our long national nightmare is over," as justification for that. So why should Donald Trump, uh, a former president, be prosecuted here? Isn't this harming the country and inflaming the divisions that are already there?
1: Did you call me in to be a, a <laughs> pundit or an, a Trump defender? I mean, look,
0: I, because people are saying Republicans yeah. are saying this is a, this is a partisan, you know, political witch hunt. And they're and they're upset about that. Why? What's the reason that we should be doing this?
1: Well, I mean, look, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a prosecutor. I'm I'm not, you know, involved in the nitty gritty of what is multiple cases against the former president, maybe it's because no one's ever done anything like this before as a sitting or former president. And I think that, you know, what you're hearing from prosecutors, not all of whom, by the way, are Democrats, is that if nothing else, they have the responsibility to take a look at those actions. These are serious charges. This is a serious situation. And at the end of the day, if they're going to move forward, like these are going to have to be airtight legal cases. Nobody's going to file charges against a former president who's about or is running again? I suppose he is. He's officially um, running without thinking that they can actually make that case right. in
0: court. And it's it's the concept of no one is above the law. All right, let's bring this back to California. It, it, we will be witnessing history this year. The California primary is on March fifth. Uh, ballots are going to be mailed out in early February. This is the first time in a generation that Republican voters in California will have a major say in who the Republican nominee for president is. The last time uh, they voted an open primary is too late for to matter, and it, it typically is in most years. What happens to Trump legally? How will that shape this primary, or, or will it?
1: I think it'll be uh, dependent on a few factors. I mean, one is whether the indictment actually moves forward at all, but also how quickly or not the court case progresses. Are we actually hearing damaging testimony you know, in the lead-up to these early primaries? Is there discovery coming out? Are there things that either, you know, cast sort of more of a cloud over Trump, and that allows an opening for a Ron DeSantis type? I, I think it's a double edged sword, because everything with Trump, like we have seen him turn what would be political crap to other people into political gold. So I do think that there is a chance even in California and the sort of core Trump supporters, that this makes them coalesce around him even more. But as you've reported, this is a time when we're already seeing his support, if not weakening, softening Mm. by a lot of the base. And these are not people that are done with MAGA. These are the culture warriors. And that is exactly who someone like Ron DeSantis is talking to. So I don't think that this is an opening for a more Bush-era Republican, but it is an opening for someone like DeSantis who can sort of make this case that he is Trump without the baggage. And that is really, I think, the case that he's leaned into.
0: Well, let's let's drill down a couple of these things. You know, been talking to Republicans... In the last couple of days and they, you know, say (laughs) it didn't take long. Uh, And uh, they said some of these legal problems are going to make him a martyr. Mm -hmm. What will that get him in California? He's
1: already a martyr, though. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think it's I think he's like running out of room on the martyr scale. Right. Because, you know, he was a martyr because of. The Mueller investigation, and because of Russia and Ukraine, and if you can remember before the war, there was a whole other th- dust up around that, right? And then he was a martyr during the second impeachment and stopped the steel stuff. So, like, his entire brand is based on that. And I do think that, you know, the room for expanding his base. Is gone. Like, we've seen this. He's got a ceiling. Uh, he also seems to have a floor. But I, I wonder if that floor is, is squishier because of the fact that you just... It, it, I think there are people who like everything about Trump and still are a little done with the chaos. And I think you <laughs> heard that between the lines and a lot of Republicans you talk to. They're not yeah. ready to sell him down the river yet, but they're also like... They're flirting with the idea of an alternative. They're open to it. And I think what happens in the next 12 months is really going to, you know, make the difference. And you can see, again, like, this is not a party that wants to have a conversation about actually, you know, deep policy issues about – like, they want to they want to ding Joe Biden on the economy, but they're not – they don't have any – actual proposals to deal with inflation, they're in charge of the House. What they want to do is dig into these cultural warrior issues, um, you know, LGBT kids, books in schools they don't agree with. I mean, the list goes on. These are the bread and butter of this Republican Party. And and I think what is interesting is that, that Trump, you know, had his finger on that. But all of his campaigns have been about grievance. And I right. do think that someone like DeSantis, who is still running – really a negative kind of approach to politics, but there's a little bit more, there's some sweetener in there for folks.
0: After a short break, we'll hear from a California congressman who is ready to leave Donald Trump and support Ron DeSantis. And we'll discuss the power of swing voters in the 2024 elections. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. We're back with It's All Political on 5th and Mission. Marisa, before the break, you alluded to this Berkeley IGS poll in February that showed that DeSantis is now the favorite among California Republicans over Trump. At that uh, California Republican Party convention a couple weeks ago, Congressman Tom McClintock, who is one of California's few Republican representatives in the House, told me that he's leaning towards DeSantis. I think he essentially offers um, uh, Donald Trump's policies without all the drama. More tellingly, another congressman, Doug LaMalfa, who represents the far northern part of California, a district where 58% of his voters back Trump, by the way, told me that he's undecided. Where are you at? Have you picked a horse yet? I I think it's Trump's to lose, and... Trump needs to focus on winning his race and not worry about what the other candidates are doing. What does that tell you?
1: For folks who are not familiar with the entire Republican caucus, like those are among, if not the most conservative members, especially McClintock. And he's been such a standard bearer for that kind of traditional, you know, very hard right conservatism. So that tells you that, I mean, it tells you two things. One, it tells you that like Trump is weaker because to your point, just saying that isn't going to get these people ostracized from the California convention the way it would have. And two, you know, it also just shows that like this sort of cult of personality that he's built, I think, has its limits. Limits. And another, you know, set of quotes that really interested me was Harmeet Dillon, the uh, Republican lawyer who is a RNC member, just challenged Ron McDaniel to run the Republican National Committee. Pre-Trump, she was a pretty moderate, yeah, yeah. like, California Republican. Yes, She saw the writing on the wall with Trump and swung so hard to MAGA that she is now defending Trump in a lot of his... I think you could say far-fetched lawsuits and and, and others that have been more successful. You know, she's done a lot of the COVID lawsuits. She's an excellent attorney. But she was, like... Mrs. Trump number one in California, and right. even someone like her who's been so in his corner is at least willing to entertain the idea that somebody else may take the right the top for her
0: step. not for her not to come out uh, lockstep for Trump as spoke volumes. Let's talk about Desantis. This month he headlined a fundraiser in Orange mm-hmm. County for the Orange County Republican Party, not himself. Fred Whitaker, the chair of the Orange County Republican Party, you know Fred, oh, yeah. uh, told me it drew 900 people and raised $742,000 for them. The, he called it the biggest event the Orange County Republican Party has ever had. This, he rallied this crew in a month. It usually, It takes some five or six months to organize one of these things. What does that tell you? Orange County, as we know, arguably the biggest battleground in California. Yeah. Uh, also the spiritual home of the <laughs> – it used to be the spiritual home of the California Republicans uh, yeah. back in the day. But what, is, what does that tell you, that, that DeSantis came there and he, he raised all this money and he drew a big crowd and they were into him?
1: I would say Orange County Republicans are more emblematic of like the kind of power base of the GOP in California. You know, the McClintocks and the Malphas are more from, um, you know, the state of Jefferson kind of part of the state. Right. Yes. These are rural voters, often people in agriculture or in other industries, very pro-gun I think the bread and butter that we would think nationally about Republicans, or mm-hmm. at least historically from an economic standpoint, Orange County is very different, right? These are more affluent, suburban, exurban Republicans. They are the donors, and they're also the people that, you know, I think probably in some cases have a little bit of – Anxiety about Trump.
0: Right. Because
1: Mm. look at who they have elected. Michelle Steele, who's pretty conservative, but very good at not sounding like it. You know, like she's one of their Congress uh, women down there and she just she just won a tough race, um, as did young Kim. Someone like both of of those
0: two uh, get more votes than Trump. Uh, Yes. So that's that's the thing. Right.
1: And and they were emblematic of this, like, kinder, gentler version of the Republican Party. They're still going to vote with the caucus, but they're not out there screaming their heads off about a lot of the things that you might see, you know, in other places. And I think DeSantis is a better messenger in some ways for that type of Republican. He understands how to talk to them, which is ironic because Trump's the one who owns the country club, but I think he really gets the country club folks. Um, And I think in this stage of any primary, you have a lot of party faithful on both sides who are just interested. They want to hear people make the case. They want to see who they're going to, you know, end up supporting. Mm -hmm. Um, to me, what was interesting was, like, that DeSantis's approach was to just come and just trash the state he was in. Just to tell them how awful everything here is. I mean, it sounded like a stump speech in Florida. Like, he almost forgot that he got off the plane, you, you know, know? I,
0: I asked – so I asked people about it at the convention. Did, did they
1: love it? They probably they loved, it. loved it. They loved because it. Because they, they blame Democrats for California. He, they agree
0: with right. them. They say California is the – the wokeness has driven it into the ditch.
1: They're like, yes. Did any of them, like, though, let me ask you, because – I think DeSantis is like a much better candidate on paper (laughs) than he is in person. He's not a great speaker. He doesn't seem to enjoy it. Like, he doesn't have that just sparkling personality that draws people to Trump. The truth is, he's never been tested outside of Florida. And he has had a very, you know, he he had a first run that was tough. He sort of hitched his wagon to Trump's star in that campaign. And then, To me, this last election in Florida seemed less about just him and more about the kind of broader culture wars and and, and he didn't have a strong opponent. So, like, I am very interested to see how he kind of ages on the campaign trail and then how he would campaign in a state like (laughs) California.
0: Well, let's look at his first little uh, back and forth with Trump. uh, Speaking of how to speak to Trump, he hasn't responded to him. Until the last couple of days, uh, Trump ripping him for his being wrong, the sanctimonious and all the goofy names. But I thought DeSantis gave a clever answer the other day when he was asked about Trump's uh, legal problems in New York. I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to to secure silence over some type of alleged affair. I just, I can't speak to that. Uh, Before, you know, Given the party line about this being a partisan witch hunt. If you have a prosecutor who is ignoring... Crimes happening every single day in his jurisdiction, and he chooses to go back many, many years ago to try to use something about porn star hush money payments. You know, that's an example of pursuing a political agenda. It's like, whoa, okay, all right. So what did you think about that? And what lessons should DeSantis take from, how others are fair when they try and get into a back and forth with Trump?
1: I mean, here's the thing. You wrestle with the pig, you both get dirty, only one of you enjoys it, right? (laughs) Trump's the pig. Just just in this analysis, He's the the cheap pig. Because this is what he does. Like, he wants to drag his opponent into a fight. And the sooner he does it, the better for him. Because then he can dirty them up and make— the debate kind of on his terms. And I think so far DeSantis has done a really good job of rising above that without, to your point, kind of forsaking the party lines. I think his hope is that he can avoid a straight up brawl with Trump until they're actually in a race together um, and maybe on a debate stage together. Uh, Eventually it'll come. And, you know, we'll kind of have to see at that point how DeSantis performs. But I do think so far he's done a pretty good job of like staying above the fray without, you know, alienating a lot of the people who still are open to both candidates.
0: So in the last couple of days, I've been talking to Republicans here in California, and they say that Trump's future in in California, California primary, depends on the reaction to all of his legal problems. As you alluded to earlier, Trump has called for people to protest Mm. against uh, uh, what's going on. Uh, We all remember what happened the last time he asked people to protest. We got the January 6th insurrection. How will the reaction to his legal woes shape public opinion of Donald Trump here in California? Do you think that or will people be watching if this turns ugly and violent and will they hold Trump responsible? I'm not talking about you know his core, but those kind of swing right. voters, those yes and voters right who were and speaking we have to, to
1: say too I mean obviously, in order <clears throat> to vote in the Republican primary, you have, you have to be a- registered Republican, yeah. but we have. Essentially, as many independent voters in California as Republicans in there, free to re register before sure, next spring if they sure. want to weigh in there. Yeah. So, let's say a quarter of the electorate's Republican in California, give mm-hmm. or take, right? Yeah. And I think what we've seen consistently is that, what, 40% of that group is very much still a, a backer of the former president. Yeah. That, gives you a lot of wiggle room if you're looking for an opening. I think within that other, let's just say 60%, there could definitely be people who are turned off if things turn violent, um, who are, you know, or are motivated if they do feel like this is a sort of partisan prosecution. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to kind of predict where or whether we'll actually see protests. Like, January 6th was a concentrated event based around you know, a specific ceremonial day in Congress. Um, right. And people came from all over the nation to participate in that. Also, a lot of the people that helped coordinate that are facing charges or behind bars right now. So that does add another element yeah. to yeah. things. Do I expect giant protests in California on behalf of Trump? I don't. I, I'm not saying there couldn't be anything. There'll be a little ones. Yeah. But it does seem like <clears> New York <throat> is where... You know, we anticipate if there's charges, they will come and likely there will be reaction um, there. That's at least what law enforcement seems to think. I really think it's too soon to tell if the fallout from a potential indictment is going to be enough to kind of like push people away or towards Trump. But if you have someone like DeSantis, who is essentially offering... Trump 2.0 without the drama, and a record in Florida of owning the libs, like, over and over again, I mean, I would think that would be pretty attractive to some mm-hmm. folks if they are indeed turned off by the Trump chaos.
0: Marisa, thank you for returning your triumphant return to Fifth Admission, the building, and your debut on It's All Political on Fifth Admission.
1: Thank you for having me, and I look forward to coming back again soon. Oh,
0: all right. Me too. I'd like to thank you for listening and hope that you and your family are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank my friend Marisa Lagos for being on the podcast today. What took you so long? And I'd like to thank Francesca Fenzi for producing this episode. And remember, whether you're facing indictment for alleged crimes or you're the victim of a witch hunt, it's all political on Fifth Mission.